love you. We praise you. Father, I'm your conduit this morning. Father, use me for your glory. Father, I pray that you would speak to us. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified, Father God, in what we do and what we say today. Father, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're starting, uh, this is part two of the message of unity. And today we're going to be talking about, our subtitle is Resolving Conflict in the Life of the Church. Regarding, uh, I'm sorry, Resolving Conflict in the Life of the Church. How many know that conflict is inevitable? Whenever you bring a bunch of people together from different walks of life, you're going to experience conflict from time to time. The thing about conflict is we got to remember is that conflict in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, sometimes people, when you talk about the issue of conflict, oftentimes people want to shy away from it, and there's a negative connotation to it. The issue is it's not that conflict is a bad thing. The issue before us is that how do we handle the conflict? Because we're going to have conflict, whether it's on your job, uh, whether it's with people that you work with, whether it's in your home with your spouse, we are going to experience conflict. And if we know how to deal with conflict in a healthy way, then uh, we will all be better for it. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. The issue is how do we handle it? And how do we handle conflict will determine whether or not we have a positive or a negative result of what we're doing as it relates to conflict. Now, how many of you know that the word of God is the word of God? The word of God is our God. And I believe that this word, and you should believe it too, that everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in his word. If there's any issue, if there's anything that you're battling with in your life, you can go to this book and you can get God's directives on it. Because how do you know that God speaks to every circumstance in life? And that's why it's so important. We talk an awful lot about uh, reading the word of God, spending time in God's word, because the Bible says that he gives us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And so, if you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And this would be our foundational scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 17. And it reads, Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Say new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, the thing that we need to remember is and always uh, give God thanks for is that he reconciled us. Can you say amen to that? God was in the world through Christ 
reconciling the world unto himself. And we all have been reconciled to God. We've been made brand new. All things have become new. But then how many know that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation? Not only did God reconcile us, but God wants us as well to be reconciled to one another. Because what we do is, listen, the Bible says that we have the ministry of reconciliation. So when we go out and we share the love of God, when we share Christ's love, then what we're doing is we're sharing it and we're, 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 we're sharing the ministry of reconciliation, which means that we need to be living it amongst each other. Can you say amen to that? Because we are reconcilers. It's who we are. It's what God has made us to be. And so the Bible says that we are Christ's ambassadors. And ambassadors, they represent the interests of another kingdom. We are the ones that share the love of God, that share, uh, you know, how that Christ died for the sins of the world. And folks, and if we are not reconciled one to another, now keep in mind, we're still talking about unity. If we're not reconciled one to another, then how can our message have any power? Because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, so that means that we have to live reconciliation as well. Now, how did God reconcile us to himself? Well, he didn't count our trespasses against us. And that's the way that we should live with one another. If a brother or sister come to us and they admit their sin, then how many know that we should forgive them and we should move on because how many know that God did the same thing for us, didn't he? He forgave us and then he sent us on our way. But then also, here's another important factor, is that God was proactive and he took the initiative in reconciling. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, look at your neighbor and say yet sinners, God died for us, or Christ died for us while we were yet sinning, while we was in the thick of our sins, while we were still cracked up, shacking up, you know, whatever up you want to think about. God was still, listen, listen, he forgave us. And he died for us when we were in the thick of our sin. And how do we know that he came after us? He did not wait for us to come, because how do we know if he would have, waited for us to come, we probably wouldn't be here today. If, he, if God was to say, you know, I'm going to wait until they get it right before I come to them. No, God didn't do that. God came, he came after us. He was, listen, he was proactive. And because he was proactive, you and I are here today. Because if he wasn't proactive, how many know that we'd still be home today, probably getting over our hangover from our club last week, our party we went to last night. We were trying to get sober, taking some Alka-Seltzer. Don't y'all look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. But God came after us, didn't he? He came after us and he reconciled. And how many know that we need to be the same way one to another? And sometimes as believers, we get stubborn, don't we? Somebody offends us, what do we do? Well, you know what? They should know that they offended me. They should come to me first. I'm not going to do anything. They should come first. But how many know that that's not the spirit of Christ. The spirit of reconciliation always take the initiative because how many know that we are first accountable to God? So if God speaks to you and God says you need to go get it right, how many know that we better go and get it right with our brother and with our sister? Because why? God spoke to us. God came after us. And so God expects us to be proactive in our relationship and when it comes to reconciliation. Now, I have seven steps here I want to share with you. 
How do we resolve conflict? These are seven principles that I got from the word of God. And I really believe that if you lay hold on these principles, and I hope you have your pen and your pencil, because I really want you to go home and I want you to look over these, because I really believe that if you study these principles, that we would flow better together, you would flow better together in your relationship with other people and how we relate to people on our job, in church, whatever the sphere of influence is. God has given us clear directive on how to deal with conflict. Amen? Amen. Uh, Well, the first one is... We have seven steps. The first one is go to your brother and sister directly. Turn with me to Mark chapter 18. I'm going to read a couple of scripture. Now, many of us have heard of this particular passage of scripture, but we're going to kind of take our time with it today because I want to teach you a little bit. Amen? Is that okay? Amen. So the first thing that we do as it relates to conflict and how do we resolve conflict, the first principle is go to your brother or your sister directly. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 15. And it reads, if your brother sins or offends or wrong you, sin against you, go and show him his fault in what? Private. Are y'all there? Are we there? Did I say Mark 18? I apologize. Matthew chapter 18. Thank you. <laughs> Matthew, that's good. You're listening. I'm delighted to know that. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Are you, are you there now? Great. If your, brother or, if your brother sins, wrongs, or offend you, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two or more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, Jesus says here that if your brother wrongs you or offends you or sins against you, he says to go to your brother directly in private. That's what Jesus said. And so often we don't do that. When we get offended, oftentimes what we're tempted to do is get on the phone and tell somebody, well, do you know what such and such a person did to me? Do you, I mean, let me tell you what they did. But that's not what the Bible says, does it? The Bible says if your brother sins or offend you to go to your brother first in private. In fact, I will challenge you and encourage you that if somebody ever comes to you with a complaint about another person, then you know what you should do? You should stop them dead in their tracks and say, wait a minute. Have you gone directly to that person to try and work it out first? Because if we don't do that, then we are in clear violation of the word of God. Because the word of God says that if your brother or sister, whatever it is, if they offend you, to first go to them in private. Because how many know that a lot of times you can work things out in private? Sometimes it's not even a sin issue. Sometimes it could be a misunderstanding. Sometimes it could just be a perception. And then sometimes it's reality. But we will never know until we go and work it out. But oftentimes what we're tempted to do is get on the phone or we got to go tell somebody else. And then what happens is the strife now is multiplied and then we have problems and then we have other people involved in the conflict who really had nothing to do with it in the first place. And it caused all kinds of problems in the body of Christ. 
And all of us have to deal with this issue because, the, as I said before, I said to you a moment ago, that the word of God gives us clear direction on how to resolve conflict. And if a brother or sister have not gone directly to, to that person that offended them, then, you know, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to be up front. If you ever come to me and you got a complaint against somebody, you know what I'm going to say to you? Go to that person and handle it. Because the scripture says that that's the way we ought to do it. It doesn't matter if you're just here in church, but also in your relationships. Also in your relationships at work, in your marriages. You know, we go, we go directly to the person and deal with the issue that is at hand. Now, how do we approach? Let's say that, that you've been offended by somebody. How do you approach them? You know, because how many know that if you go to somebody with a spirit of, of arrogance and pride and, you know, and well, let me tell you. I want to just tell you what you did to me. I did not appreciate what you did to me. In fact, you get on my nerves, and, you know, because of what you did to me, you know, this happened to me, and I just want you to know that I don't pre- appreciate what you did to me. I mean, know that that person is probably not going to receive what you're saying. And so we need to go in the spirit of humility. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. Are you all there? Are you there? Is anybody home? Is anybody home? <laughs> Galatians chapter number six, verse one. It says, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual or you who are mature, you who hear from God, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you will, you will too not be tempted. The thing that we need to understand is that all of us fall. All of us blow it from time to time. And so when, when, when somebody offends us, we need to go to them in the spirit of humility saying, you know what? I know that I too make mistakes and I'm coming to you because I want to try and resolve the issue because I love you. But when we come with arrogance and with pride and boasting about what happened, how do you know that it makes it much, much more difficult for someone to receive? Because if we come hard and stern, people are normally turned off by that. And that's why Jesus says that we need to come with a gentle spirit. Look at your neighbor and say gentle spirit. And then number two. We need to admit when we're wrong. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. You know, and that's the thing that 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 pride thing is a big issue, isn't it? Because oftentimes when somebody comes to us with an offense, what's the natural thing that we want to do? The natural thing is to what? Be defensive. To put up our hands, anybody used to watch boxing, remember Muhammad Ali? And he used to do the, the, the rope-a-dope. He used to get up on the ropes and, you know, he would cover up like this. And, you know, the natural thing to do when somebody comes to us is that, listen, that we want to defend ourselves. See, it's natural. It's natural to do that. But see, listen, 
all of us who have been born again, we have the spirit of God living on the inside of us. And when somebody come to us and the spirit of God convict us, then what we should do at that moment, we should say, you know what, brother, sister, you are exactly right. But oftentimes we have a difficult time with that because, you know, we got to save face. And, you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to admit that we're wrong. But how do you know that all of us are wrong from time to time? It's just the way it is. And, and naturally, you know, we want to put up that defense. It's human nature, but it's not God's nature. And we all have been born again because how do you know that God knows our hearts? God is looking at our hearts. And if God already knows, then how do you know that you may as well go ahead and confess it? Because God gives grace to the humble. See, God, the Bible says that God is opposed to the proud. But I don't know about you, but I want God's grace in my life. He said he give grace to the humble, those who humble themselves. And you know what? And say, you know what, brother? I'm, I'm sorry. I blew it. And too often in the body of Christ, we have a very, very difficult time with that because we still deal with the issue of pride. And it makes us want to defend ourselves. But how many know that when you're walking with God, you don't need to try and defend yourself? God will defend you if we're walking in righteousness. And if we're walking in obedience to him, God will defend you every single time. But when a brother or sister come to us, people, we have to remember, the temp- listen, you're going to be tempted from time to time and say, wait a minute. I, I, no. Don't do it. Listen to the Holy Spirit and be humble enough to accept what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Be humble enough to accept it. Proverbs 29, 23 says, a man's pride will bring him low. But a humble spirit, he will obtain honor. How many of you want God's favor and God's honor? Then we need to humble ourselves. And when a brother and sister comes, We need to admit we're wrong when we know that we're wrong. Because after all, God already sees and he already knows anyway. And we need to be true before God. And we need to be honest with one another. Because I don't know about you, but I want to sleep good at night. And one of the things that make me sleep good at night is that I've been honest with God. Not that I've been perfect. (laughs) Because none of us are there. But at least that I've been honest. David was not a perfect man, but yet God said that David was a man after my own heart. Why was David a man after God's own heart? How did, why did God classify him like that? Because whenever David was confronted about sin, you know what David quickly did? David said, you're right. Forgive me, Lord. I'm guilty. He didn't try to cover it up. He didn't try to, you know, brush, brush it over. But David dealt with it. And God says, he's a man of integrity. I love him. He's not perfect. God's not calling us. You know, he's not telling us we have to be perfect in everything. But we're to strive to be perfect. And we're to strive to be honest before him at all times. And then number three, we must avoid slander and malicious gossip. You see, a person that is slandering other people, you see, what happens in a situation like that is that they get hurt or they get offended, and instead of dealing with it, as Matthew 18 said, what they do is now they get on the phone and then they start talking to other people, and then they get their emotions involved. And how many know that our emotions are a fickle thing? And then when emotions get involved, we get hurt, and now what we're trying to do is now, instead of trying to reconcile, now we want to injure another person. 
You see, a person that is slandering, they have at the root of what they're doing. They don't want to reconcile. They want to injure another person. They want to put the other person in a negative light. But see, that is not the spirit of reconciliation. When someone is malicious, they're trying to hurt someone. And how many know that God is not in that? God is not in it when we don't care and love one another and try to look out for one another, God is not in that. Anything that slanders and put another person in a negative light. We need to deal with truth, but we need not slander. And the person that slanders, when they start talking, then what happens is if we're not careful, they start talking, and then other people start getting involved, and then you start having this this separated thing. Then division comes in. And whenever there's division, the Bible says that there's every evil work Every evil work. And so we have to guard against that. And the way that we guard against it is that, look, we all are responsible to guard the unity of the faith. And so, listen, and the Bible says over in uh, Matthew 12, 36, it says, but I tell you, and this is what Jesus says, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it In the day of judgment. Jesus couldn't have been any more clear. In other words, Jesus is saying that every word that we speak, God is going to bring it into judgment. Now, you may say, well, I wasn't directly involved. Well, even if you participate in gossip and malicious slandering, slandering, maybe you're not a part of it, but you just happen to hear about it and you start participating in it, then how many know that God is going to bring that into account? That's why the Bible talk about that we should be slow to what? Speak and quick to hear. Because we're going to be judged for every single word that we say. God's going to call it into account. Turn with me to James chapter number three. James chapter three. Verse number five. And this is uh, James talking about the tongue, and how destructive the tongue is. I just want to read this to you. Verse 5, James chapter 3, verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. Listen to this, people. It is restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We love you, God. We thank you, Lord. We praise God with our tongues. And then we turn right back around and he says, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. 
My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Our tongue is very, very dangerous. The tongue has been responsible for marital problems, breakups. The tongue has been responsible for problems in our businesses and corporations. The tongue has been a problem in churches. The tongue has caused many church splits because of the tongue. And then remember, this little thing that is right in our mouths. And so we need to give heed and we need to always remember that God is going to bring what we say into judgment someday. And so we need to take care, whether it's here, or whether it's, you know, participating in gossip or malicious uh, talk at work, doesn't matter. It's, it, it's not just relegated just in this setting. God expects us to live holy, amen? God expects us to live righteous. And even at work sometimes, there's a temptation because I work with a bunch of people that don't know God. And it's very, very easy to get involved in what they're saying and start talking about somebody else. But I, listen, but how many know that God hears when we talk? Because, see, we are the light of the world. We are to be that example on our job. We are to take the lead and we are to represent Christ. And so we hear other people even at work because sometimes we think, oh, I just, you know, handle it here at church. No, wherever you go, anything that is, that is malicious, gossip and slander God is not in that God has nothing to do with it and if you want God's blessing and God's anointing you know and we wonder sometimes why aren't we blessed you know God why aren't you blessing why aren't you moving and God is saying he may be saying we just need to keep our mouth shut and we need to spend time loving the Bible says blessed are the peacemakers The peacemakers are the children of God. Those who are always trying to bring peace in a situation. And we represent the peace of God. So wherever we are, we need, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. This is who we are. We're peacemakers. That's what God expects of us. And when we're not operating in that spirit of peace, then we're operating outside of what God has required of us. Blessed are the peacemakers. Number four, we need to get the log out of our own eye. Matthew chapter number seven. You can turn there if you like. And I didn't make the mistake this time and say Mark. Matthew chapter number seven, verse three. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, the small thing, the little sin. Let me help you with that. And behold, the log or the big sin, the large sin is in your own eye. Jesus says, verse number five, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think it's so very, very important that when someone comes to us, when someone has been offended, that the first thing that we need to do, folks, is we need to look at ourselves. 
Self-examination. You know, a lot of times we don't do that. You know, a lot of times, you know, we get offended and we just want to quickly say that it's the other person's fault. But how many know that we need to take some time, we need to ask God and say, you know, wait a minute. God, have I contributed to this conflict? Have I been a problem in this? Self-examination. And so often people don't do that because we get emotional. Our emotions get involved. And a lot of times we just want to tell people, I want to tell you, I want to point out to you what you did to me. And that becomes king. And then we forget. And then we don't hear God because we don't spend time with God. And we don't say, well, God, could I have contributed to this in any way? God, what have I done to help facilitate this problem? You see, I believe when we have that kind of attitude and that kind of spirit, God can use us mightily. And believe me, God will speak to us because, as I said last week, all of us have blind spots. We don't see clearly. And that's why the Bible says that we need to always walk with one another in a spirit of humility. Because if we're prideful and we're always thinking that we got it all right all the time and we never miss, God cannot do anything with that. In fact, God said, I'm opposed to that. God says, I can't do anything with that. So we do well to get the log out of our own eye because how many know that you're going to observe people and sometimes you're going to see their shortcomings. And oftentimes we're tempted that we want to say something about it. Let me go tell brother or sister so-and-so their problem. You know, the first thing we need to first ask is, well, let, me, let me think. You know, have I done this? I mean, I mean, you know, have I done what they're doing at some point? Because maybe it's something I did, they picked up on, and I just didn't think about it. You see? A spirit of humility. Because we're examining ourselves, and we're getting the log out of our own eye. And it's so very, very important that we practice that. And then number five, we need to speak the truth in love. That's what Ephesians 4.15 says, that we are to speak the truth in love. How many know that if you love someone, you tell them the truth? But you know what needs to be attached because sometimes people say, well, I'm just going to tell you because you just need to know it. But how many know that if there's no love attached to it, then nobody's going to receive from you? You know, my wife... My wife can be very, very frank and direct with me, and oftentimes she is. She'll tell me exactly what I need to know. But one thing I know about my wife, I know that that woman right there loves me to death. And so, you know what? I, it's nothing that she can say to me. You know, if she said, honey, you need to do this. Honey, you need to watch what you say. Honey, you need to do that. I listen. You know why? And sometimes my wife don't, you know, she don't make it look, she don't, she don't do it well. You know, she, there's not a whole lot of charisma in how she presented to me. Sometimes she, uh, she, she does give it straight. And sometimes she do that. But you know what? I know she loves me. And see, whenever love is attached to our telling the truth, people are much more receptive to what we have to say. But if you just want to tell somebody something just because I just need to tell you, I got to share with you, and, you don't, and there's no spirit of love coming from that, then how many know nobody's going to receive that? So we need to speak the truth in love. We need to always be honest with one another. Brother and sister come to you. Hey, how are things going? Oh, everything's going lovely, lovely. Get out in the parking lot. Oh, I can't stand such, such and such person. Oh, I have a problem with this person. How do we know you weren't being honest? 
Oh, uh, how, what do you think about the church? How's it going? Oh, great, great, great. Get on the phone. Oh, I just think it's horrible. We don't be, we're not honest with one another. And when we're not honest with one another, we can, listen, when we're not real, then unity is far from us. We only, can be, we only can be unified as we are honest with one another and share what's really going on in our hearts. That's where real unity come in. Not just having this show of unity or this appearance of unity on the outside, but a connection on the inside. And so we always need to speak the truth But always speak the truth with grace and make sure that when you speak the truth to somebody that you do it in love. Because, brother, I want to tell you this, but I'm telling you this because you know why? I want this thing to be reconciled and I want you to know that I love you. That's the only reason why I'm sharing this with you. I have no other reason. How many know that this is right where we are? I mean, this is the nuts and bolts of Christianity because all of us deal with this. And a lot of us, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today. We don't like conflict. I mean, we just shy away from it. No, who loves it? You know, but yet it is something that we have to deal with all the time. And so I say, instead of running from it, let's learn to deal with it properly. And let's learn to deal with it in a healthy way so that God can get the glory. I really believe that God can be glorified. And our conflicts, if we know how to handle our conflicts. And number six, if we avoid personal attacks in our conflicts. You know, that's how the enemy does, that he likes to get us off course. And, you know, the issue that you may have come to a person about, you know, you may find yourself in a whole other arena where you're name calling and you're attacking someone. And how many know when you're attacking someone, there's no spirit of unity there? Personal attacks that results to name calling and accusation. And oftentimes, personal attacks are not rooted and grounded in truth. They're rooted and grounded in somebody's pain or anger or frustration about a particular thing. But how many know that when you're dealing with a conflict, always make sure that you stick to the issue that is at hand? Why am I talking to you? What is this all about? Why, why, why am I coming here anyway and stick to the issue and avoid personal attacks? And we need to do that as well in our homes with our spouses. You know, don't result to personal attacks because they, they, they listen, it brings no godly fruit. In fact, it only stimulates more conflict and make it much more, much more difficult for God to intervene and change the situation. And then finally, number seven. Prayerfully invite the Lord into the conflict. Now, I say the best for last. And uh, I hope my wife don't mind, but, you know, sometimes with me and my wife, and, you know, me and my wife, we have conflict. Isn't that right, sweetheart? Absolutely, we have conflict. And one of the things I like to do with my wife whenever we have a conflict, I would say to her, I would say, hey, hey, baby, you know, and I would just grab her. I said, look, I grab her hand. I say, hey, honey, let's, let's pray. Let's pray for her. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, come on, let's pray. And it's amazing that when you invite God into a conflict, how it changed the whole atmosphere of the problem. I mean, the whole atmosphere changes now because we have invited God into the picture. Not that we didn't know that God was present. We all, I mean, we know that God is there, but, you know, sometimes we get so emotional 
And we want so badly to relate the problem that we're having with the other person that sometimes we forget that God is watching. Sometimes we forget. And so when we pray, and and my recommendation is the next time that you have a conflict with somebody, if there's a problem or issue, listen, grab them by the hand, grab the brother, sister by the hand and say, look, before we start this, let's pray. Because let me tell you, it's extremely hard. It's very difficult to act like a fool when you are aware that God is watching you. Can you say amen to that? I mean, it's very, very hard to act crazy when now, because like I said, sometimes we forget, we get so caught up in what we want to say, and then it's like, you know, then we, after we leave the conflict, it's like, oh, I got to pray now. And then your spirit is all messed up. Invite God into the conflict. Because let me tell you, when we do that, then it gives God the opportunity to bring clarity. God will bring truth. God will bring revelation. And how many know that if God is involved, that you're going to get the God kind of result? Peaceable fruit, full of goodness and full of righteousness. Why? Because God is involved in the conflict. And if God is involved in the conflict, then we all will benefit from that. Amen? In conclusion, Romans 14, 19. You can read it in your spare time. So then let us pursue the things which makes for peace and the building up of one another. How many know that God wants us to live in peace and in harmony with one another? But sometimes, how many know that you got to work for it? But we all have to be responsible and we all have to make a commitment that this is how we're going to live. We need to resolve conflict quickly. One of the things that happen, I believe, is that when people don't resolve issues quickly, what happens is they're allowed to fester. And then when they are allowed to fester, then what happens is bitterness kicks in. And then when bitterness kicks in, it starts defiling people. And that's why one of the things that you always, and some people, and people here, they, they know me, that one of the things I love to do is talk. Now, I've been told that I talk too much sometimes, and that's probably true. But one of the things I never, ever do is I never shy away from communicating, you know, about an issue. But if we allow things to fester, if we don't deal with things, then it has a very, very negative effect on people. Because when bitterness comes in, let me tell you, it is poisonous. And it's hard to bounce back from it. And so one of the things that we learn, even me and my wife, we learn we don't go to bed being mad at each other. We just don't do it because we're not going to allow. Because first of all, I know and my wife knows that she got to get up in the morning and we want to spend some time with God because we spend time with God every morning. And I don't want to spend time with God knowing that my spirit is not right, because the first thing God's going to say to me is you need to go and deal with that right away. Oftentimes what we do is we wait, you know, we have problems, we have issues and we never say anything. And then all of a sudden it reach ahead and then bam, it's explosion, and then the other person sitting back thinking, what happened? Where did all this come from? Because we didn't deal with it quickly. The spirit of reconciliation seeks to reconcile and deal with issues quickly because how many know we're not ignorant of Satan devices? Because that's what Satan loves to do. He loves to divide us. 
But the only way to confront that devil is to walk in the power of the Spirit. Put on the full armor of God, and God will give us the victory in that situation. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God, that you have, Father God, given us this word. And Father God, I pray that you would help all of us to deal with conflict, Lord, properly. That every one of us, Lord, who are, if we are in conflict with anybody, God, that you would give us the wisdom and the grace to handle it in a loving way. I pray, God, that you will forgive us, Lord God, for those times when we haven't been loving, when we haven't reached out and tried to re- resolve conflict. Forgive us, Father, for those times for making conflict, Lord, and instead of trying to resolve them. Forgive us, Father, for those times, Father God, when we've walked in the flesh. We all have done it, Father God, and we say that we're sorry. God, I pray, God, that you would unify our church like never before. That the love of God and the peace of God, Lord, will will join us together, God. And that your love will be woven through the fabric of this church. And that, God, that all who come will sense the love, Father, first that we have for you. And then, Father, the love that we have for one another. God, I pray this and I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.